At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. All right, this morning, I want to encourage you to take your Bible out. Turn with me to 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We've been walking through this, um, this letter that John has written uh, to believers. And we see, even over the past few weeks, we've seen how uh, even what he wrote thousands of years ago still impacts our lives today and is contemporary to the challenges that we see. So today we're deep in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Forgotten Virtue, Learning How to Love Again. Remember, we've talked over the the past few weeks how the world defines love in a very different way than God defines love. And we've been looking at how do we walk in the way uh, that God desires and realizing last week we, we learned that we are to reject the way that the world defines love. That The world defines love as always selfish. It's always self-centered. And when we do that, it steals from our attention that we are supposed to give to God and to others. And it's interesting to see that even today as we're going to continue our, our series, not only has God given us a great capacity to love, like we, we have this, this, this vessel inside of us, this, this hole that's inside of us that we can fill with a lot of things to love. And remember we said we want to reject the things of the world. We don't want to fill our, our love capacity with the things of this world. We want to fill it with the Lord. And today what we're going to see, not only do we have a great capacity to love, we also have a great capacity to hate. And I want us to, to look at God's word and maybe have a time of correction in our own hearts and in our own spirits. Um, because remember, we've been talking, this has been a very, very challenging year. And maybe through this, this past year, 2020, uh, you had some emotion that bubbled up to the surface that wasn't honoring to the Lord. And so let's take some time to unpack some of that and see how God wants us to return to love. What are we to reject and what are we to embrace? And you know, in America today, there seems to be this extremely dangerous philosophical and psychological trend that is invading the hearts and minds of people. This past week, I read an article that was written in Science Magazine uh, that was written back in October of this year. And, and what the, this article is trying to identify this dangerous trend, which is known as uh, political sectarianism. Now, that, that's a big word, and I'll break it down for you. But basically what this, this um, author was writing in this, this science uh, experiment went through 15 different universities, and they did research. And they've developed that what's happening in America is this political sectarianism. And that basically is that years ago, between the political parties, the two main political parties, the Democrats and the Republican, there are deep ideological differences. We can all agree. We, we understand that. And this has been the trend for many, many years, that they're ideologically different in the way that they see uh, the answer to some of the world's problems. But now what's happened is it's not only just an ideological divide, this divide has now become personal. 
Political sectarianism is a prejudice of discrimination or hatred that begins and has continued to rise between parties and between the followers of each of these different parties. They, the one party sees their, themselves as superior to the inferior party, and his vice versa is this, the same. So it's a shift from disliking the ideas of people to disliking the person who holds these differing ideas. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference between you having ideas and me having ideas and us disagreeing. But when it goes to me not, no longer liking you because you hold these views, this is when it becomes very, very dangerous. This article that in this research identified three core ingredients to this political sectarianism. First, it identifies this thing known as othering. What happens in political sectarianism is it's a tendency to view the opposing parties as essentially different or alien to oneself. What this does is it begins to diminish the image of God in the other person. It, it comes out in things like this. If you can't be a Christian and be a part of such and such party. Have you heard something like that? You've heard that, right? Well, that, that's this. This is, this is the othering. It's making the, the person that's diff, that thinks different than you different than you in kind and in value. The second ingredient of this political sectarianism is this idea of aversion. It's a tendency to dislike and dis distrust the opposing party where you begin to question the intentions of someone that is a different political party than yourself. Does that sound familiar? Begin to question intentions. The third is this moralization. It's a tendency to views the opposing party as evil or seeing the opposing person as morally inferior. Have we heard those words? That if you're of this political party, you are pure evil. See, it's this dangerous trend. And what we see is that years ago, this, this article and this, um, this study showed that there's been a shift in the way that people operate from their primary identity. Years ago, people used to operate from their primary religious identity. That was the most important to them. Their political identity was subservient to their religious identity. Now in America, what's happened is political identity is over their religious identity, and religious identity is second in line. Do you see how dangerous this is? Maybe this brings some sense to the nonsense that we see going on in the world today. This, this scientific explanation that we've just seen has, has invaded the psyche of our nation. And I can sum up all of this that we see happening in the world today as simply hatred. This is what our world has come to. This is what our nation has come to. Different political parties hating one another. And it turns not only to the parties hating one another, but people of the parties hating one another. This problem is so pervasive. And it has invaded our culture. It's gone from something that has been kind of impersonal to, to very personal. People feel deeply about these things and they feel deeply about others. 
So maybe you're here today, and as a follower of Christ, this political sectarianism has invaded your heart. I pray today that you will be able to see a gentle, nope, a strong rebuke from the word of the Lord, a gracious, loving rebuke. Because there are things in this world that we need to reject and there are things that we need to embrace. We look at God's word and he always says that we are to reject sin. We are even to go so far as to hate sin. Sin in the world is something that we should avert ourselves to and distance ourselves from. We see this from even from um, in God's word in Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. These are the things that God hates. It says there are six things that the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. You see, these are the things that the Lord says, these do not have any part of me. You, as a follower of mine, should not have any part of these things. But sometimes what happens, because we, have, we are depraved and we have this amazing capacity to hate, sometimes we forget that when we reject sin, that doesn't mean that we reject sinners. Sometimes we, we do that. Instead of rejecting sin, it turns us to hating sinners. Instead of helping to rescue those that are, find themselves in sin, it leads us to ridicule people that are different than us or struggling in different ways than us. Part of our human depravity is that we have a disposition towards hatred. We are all haters. And it's only through our faith in Christ can we be cured from this hate. Let me give you an example of this. How drastically God can change someone that hates to someone that loves. Over the past few weeks, we've been in this book of 1 John. John has been called the apostle of love. In his gospel that he wrote, the word love shows up 57 times. More than, that's more than three times than any other gospels combined. The word 46, uh, the word love shows up 46 times in the very five short chapters of this letter that we've been looking at. So John is this apostle of love, but that's not always the way he was known. If you go back to Mark chapter three or uh, Luke chapter nine, we know that John and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. That doesn't sound very loving. Like they were known as the, the sons of thunder. And I'm reminded of the, of the time in Luke chapter 9, beginning in, in verse 51, we see his true feelings come out. In verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village to the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked him. Now, do you see what's going on here? John, the apostle of love, isn't the apostle of love yet. He's, the sons, he's a son of thunder. 
And as they're walking through this Samaritan land, these people that were very distinct from the Jews, these people that were half-breeds, the Jews hated the Samaritans because of their nationality, because of their culture. They rejected them. And John, who comes through this situation thinking that he's full of righteous indignation, looks upon the Samaritan people and their rejection of Jesus. And he says, should we not call, ask God to send down fire on these people so they may be utterly destroyed? This is the sound of not righteous indignation, but it's pure hatred for a people based on, on their past and based on their culture. This is racism at its finest seeking to want to rid the world of a total people. This is John, the beloved apostle of love, is saying this. And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't respond to him and say, oh, John, you of little faith. He doesn't turn to John and say, John, you're right. John, you're right. These people, they don't know me and we should hate them. No, what Jesus does is he looks John in the eye and he rebukes him. He, in, in, in essence, what he's saying to John is your heart and your mind is from the pit of hell. I rebuke that. You cannot think that way and be a follower of mine. You cannot act this way and be a follower of mine. John's heart was filled with hatred. There's no grace, there's no compassion, there's no patience, there's no love inside of John for these people. But something had to change. Right? You can't go from John in Luke chapter 9 to 1 John and see that he's just making this stuff up. Like you can't, from someone that's so full of hate to someone that's now speaking so many words of love, something dramatically had to change and tell you what changed in them? Jesus. Jesus changed John. It is through his faith in Jesus that he's now been transformed. And now as we've been walking through 1 John, we see that he's now more mature, he's more seasoned, he's softer, he's stronger, and he's now has gone from instead of inciting hate to encouraging love. As love being the biggest evident marker of being a follower of Jesus. Look at me in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This is what John writes as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So God has made this transformation so much inside of John, this apostle. Now that he understands that the true marker of a follower of Jesus is one that has love for his brother. That if there's hate in the heart, God is not there. So today I want to ask you this question. As you take just a moment to survey your heart over the past several months, what has been filling your heart? Has your heart been being filled with hate? Or have you been being filled with 
love. Oh, there's great dangers of filling our lives with hate, which is what we're going to see in the next, in the next few minutes. We're gonna see the dangers of filling our lives with hate and what it leads to, but then also the blessing of filling our lives with love and what that looks like. So today, as we're gonna begin, we're jumping into verse 11. We're gonna look through 11 through 15 to start. And what we're going to see is the dangers of hate is that hate takes. Hate takes. Look at me in verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you do not know, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So as John begins writing, he's saying, this isn't, this isn't a new commandment that we give to you. This isn't something new. This is the message that has been from the very beginning. We can go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and we can see that, that even God's people back then were called to love their neighbor as themselves. We even see throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to explain this Old Testament scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, You have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, again, Jesus' words are echoed again by John. John is not teaching anything new, but he is continuing on with the teachings of Christ that are in line with the teachings of Scripture, which means when we love, we love more deeply and we love more fully and love moves us more and more to action, not to passiveness. John chapter 13, the Gospel of John chapter 13, verse 34 we see a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the greatest marker of knowing if we are in Christ. If we are a follower of Christ, it's our love for one another. And most primary, it's our love for the brothers, our fellow followers of Christ. That's our primary place where we begin to pour out our love is how we love each other, especially in a world where many of us think differently, right? We're still called to love. Now, if I had a can of Pepsi in my hand right here, what would you call that? Well, normally there are probably three different ways that you would call it, right? Depending on where you were brought up, you might call that can of Pepsi a pop. How many of you would call it a pop? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's pop, right? How many of you would call it soda? How many of you would call it a Coke? It's Pepsi, it's Coke, right? Now, you see the same thing. We all call it different things, right? You think it's one thing in your mind. But if we were to begin to squabble over, I'm a Coke person and you're a soda person and you're a pop person, if we begin to hate each other because of our position of what we call Pepsi, then that's ridiculous, right? We can all sit in the room right now and you all think differently about what you call a Pepsi and we can love one another, right? 
No one's fighting mad. No one's going to, you're a Pepsi man. I'm going to meet you in the parking lot, right? You're not, you're not bombing anyone's house because they call it a Coke. You're not doing any of that because we can love one another. This is a very simple example, but it has extrapolating principles to everything in the world. We can think differently and we can understand different. We can have conversations about our different ideologies. We can have frank conversations, but we can't divorce the relationship from our differences. When we take the ideology and we divorce it from a relationship, that's when this, this sentiment of hate can begin to intercede because we don't know the stories of the people behind the thought. All right, we go on here. And we see that uh, John is writing about Cain and Abel and uh, Cain being, being uh, a murderer and how that all leads and how that all gets there. And, and you may not be so familiar with the biblical narrative, but let's go back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. This is what we see. This is all the way back in the beginning. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought about the first fruits of his flock. And of their fatted portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and, he, he, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. We see there's a big difference between the two offerings that these two men bring to God. Abel comes and offers the Lord his best, his first. He offers it worshipfully. He offers it in sincerity, and the Lord is pleased by Abel's offering. Cain, on the other hand, comes and offers the Lord less than his best. He offers it out of duty and out of insincerity. And the Lord is not pleased. And what we see begin to happen is the Lord is not pleased with Cain's gift. And so envy is birthed. Jealousy is birthed. Resentment is birthed. Comparison is birthed. Fear is birthed. Hatred is birthed in the heart of Cain. We also see that in that passage, he's given the opportunity to receive God's grace and he rejects it, instead gives himself over to the temptation of sin. Cain has allowed this temptation to rule over him and it leads it out in murder. You see, hate takes. Hate always takes. Hate always takes from the image of God in some other person. And hate to its most extreme extent ends in murder. It always does. Hate takes. But what I want us to see here is though that hate takes, we see in contrast to hate, the greatest love of all time is Jesus. You see, Jesus gives life by giving of his life. Jesus doesn't take, Jesus gives. And our big idea for today is that as Christians, we should follow Christ, not Cain. 
You see, Cain brings death, but Jesus brings life. And we're going to see this a little bit more in just a moment. But we see that Jesus did all the work on the behalf of those who hated him. Jesus wasn't loved by those that he came to serve. Jesus was rejected and he was despised, but he came with the purpose of loving them and bringing them back to God. It is through his life and his death and his resurrection that people can know God, that we can experience the forgiveness of God. And because Jesus did what Jesus did, we should follow in his example. As children of God, we should love one another. And our love for one another is proof of our genuine faith. You see, we're not walking through a season of time in America that hasn't been experienced in the past. This is a difficult time. This is a challenging time, but America has walked through many, many challenging times. Christians in America have had to walk through difficult times. And I was reminded this week, and even as tomorrow, as we are reminded of Martin Luther King's sacrifice and his work towards bringing racial reconciliation together, we see that he stood during a time where the church, even the church, was divided. It wasn't political sectarianism at the time. At the time, it was racial sectarianism. Where Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a Christian, who was a pastor, understood that our call is to love one another and that the color of our skin didn't matter. I want to share with you some quotes that he, where he talks about the difference between love and hate and, and where they come from. This is what he says. He says, we must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. Our Christian identity must be the primary identity from which we live from. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That means more than where we live. It means more than the color of our skin. It means more than our political affiliation. Our being children of God is the primary identity from which we live. And if we don't, we will die as fools. He goes on to say, he says, hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens like life. Love illuminates it. See, there's great power in love. He says this. He says, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. We all know what hate does to us. Hate doesn't give us freedom. Hate shackles us, right? We, it's almost like we've got to feed the hate inside of us by seeing someone we disagree with and then we got to go find everything about it and we're like, oh, that just irks me, that, just, uh, that gets me. And then we got to get no, find out more information about that person so they can hurt us even more and make us more and more angry because anger and hatred enrages us where love releases us where you step back and you say, God, help me to see this person through your eyes. 
And then you're able to see this person is a person that is made in the image of God. And this person that struggles just like you, maybe didn't have the upbringing that you had and maybe has walked through some difficult challenges and sees life a little different. Doesn't mean they see it wrongly, just means they see it differently. Dr. Martin Luther King also, I've got two more quotes for you. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And then lastly, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We, because of the love of God that lives inside of us, we have a a world-transforming power that is at our fingertips, and it begins in our heart. And then as it begins to to well up there, it begins to pour over into our Christian relationships. And eventually, as it fills us up, it pours out so that we may even come to the place of loving our enemy. We are constantly in this battle. We must continually check our hearts to see if we're filling our hearts with hate or filling our hearts with love. And here's the scary thing. Because what John tells us is when you love those that hate you, guess what they're going to do to you? They're going to reject you. Like, don't be shocked by that. Don't, Don't be shocked when you seek to do something good for someone else and they reject that. Like, don't be, don't be like, well, this, see, I told you, we can't love that person because they're, they're wicked and they're terrible. And then we start calling them names. But John tells us it's going to happen. Love them. Anyway. You're not called to, to determine their response. You're called to love regardless of the response. So today, if, if you come under conviction of the hate that is welled up in your heart, I encourage you to take this time to confess it. If your hate has been directed towards a person that has been made in the image of God, I encourage you to seek reconciliation. Go to that person and say, hey, can we talk sometime this week? I I just need to talk with you. Because hate takes, hate is gonna take relationships, hate is gonna take your heart, hate is gonna take your life, and eventually it can lead to murder. So let's not walk the path of hatred this time in our lives, but instead, let's follow the example that Jesus gives us. Because where love hates, or where hate takes, love serves. Look with me in verse 16. John continues writing, he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, love serves. We see this exemplified through the life of Jesus. We rejected Jesus. Each one of us have rejected Jesus. Each one of us have rejected God. And we said, I don't want you to have any part of my life. We've sinned against God, and yet God's love for us caused him to send Jesus to serve us. So Jesus came in the form of a servant. Though he was God, took on his humanness and lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. 
He lived without sin every single step of the way. He served us, showed us the way to the Father, taught us the way to the Father, and then became the way to the Father. Because Jesus went to a cross to give up his life where he freely surrendered his life so that he could die in your place and in my place. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus died and was raised again. By this, we know that we, that we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for you so that we could, be, could experience the love of God again. So though we were very far away from him because of our sin, because of what Jesus has done, drew us near. And how do we respond? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This should be our disposition. We should live to serve others around us. If we have, with our resources, with our time and all that we have, we should be giving it to others so that we can show the sacrificial love of Jesus. Verse 17, if everyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his eyes against him, how does the God's love abide in him? Don't love in word or talk, but we need to love in deed and in truth. To love and to serve, we need to put others' needs above our own. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Love is not about you. It's not about making you feel good. But love is about the other person, the object of which we love. We want that object of which we love to be made the, the best that it can be and be in the right position so that it can thrive. And so that which we love can be at peace and joy. See, it's in this season of life that we need to do more than give mental assent to goodness and call out more than just call out badness in word. We need to position ourselves to make a difference in the area. The things that, we, that are good, we should highlight those and we should pursue them with our action. And those that are things that are bad, things that we should reject, we should seek to bring about peace to those areas and bring about justice where there is injustice. We need to be moved to compassion and we need to act out of love for our brothers. Genuine love is rooted in action. Well, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to, to, to move into action? Well, maybe there's someone that you have disagreed with or someone that you have felt those feelings of, of hate begin to grow in your heart or someone you just don't understand. Well, you won't understand them unless you in, in, engage in a relationship. That's the first thing that you can do is begin to hear people's story, understand where they're coming from and where life has hurt them and where life is impacting them. Once you hear people's story, then you can move to a better place of compassion and seek how you can help them. But also there are many other practical ways. Also in your bulletin today, you receive this little card. And on the back, there are some... some um, Simple things that you can do to engage where there are places to serve. Here locally, we have two awesome opportunities for you on a weekly basis to get involved. Number one, you can be involved in our food pantry ministry. 
You can come and serve, and many of you already do. But on a weekly basis, we are handing out food on Mondays and Fridays. You can come and help us stock. On Wednesdays, we usually get big shipments, and we need people to help carry the food downstairs. But there are so many ways that you can get involved in our own food pantry. Get in touch with Pastor Tyler and to learn about more. But also through our uh, thrift closet, which has been closed for almost a year now, and we're seeking to try and uh, re-engage that. So that's another way that you can serve locally through our thrift closet. But here's some other ways, and what you can do is go to our website. If you're at home and you're watching this, you can go to woodsidebible.org backslash MLK, and you'll see this sheet. And then underneath each one of these headings, um, it also breaks it down with contact information, uh, who you can get in touch with, and other opportunities for you to serve. But love serves. Let us be reminded as we walk through the season of our life, we, our lives, we marked by love through how we serve. Spend time, even today, just saying, God, help me understand who you want me to serve and how you want me to serve. And then be obedient when he tells you what he wants you to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we also realize that we live in a time where there are deep divisions. And sometimes it's hard for us to truly see the truth among the muck and the mire. We live in a world right now where it seems like feelings are the most important thing that feelings are more important than what's true. And Father, as we've heard your word this morning, we know your word is true. We know your word brings life. And Father, if hate has found itself into our hearts, God, reveal it to us so that we can confess it. Father, I pray, God, that we would not be people of hate but we would be people of love, that we would not allow our frustrations and the things of this world for us to diminish the image of God of other people. Father, in this moment, help us to be resolved to allow your power to work in us so that we may love others. We need the transformational power that you did in John Father, we need that in our own lives. And for some, God, the next step is not just to have love in their heart, but move them to serve. To bring about justice where there's injustice. To bring light where there's darkness. Instead of complaining about the darkness, complaining about poverty, complaining about all the division in the world, instead of complaining about it, let us do something about it. You are worthy of our sacrificial lives. So, Father, I pray in these moments we are able to say before you, have it all. Whereas we sing this song, we're able to open our hands and say, God, I am fully surrendered. In 2021, I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you everything about me. Please move me and use me. So this dark world may be a little lighter. May we be so bold as to pray that.
Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.